Welcome back to the Ballistic Strength Podcast. Today on the show, I have Adam Mackay. Adam Mackay is a local bodybuilder. He's a coach and a personal trainer out of Nanaimo, BC. He has a number of physique sport titles under his belt and has recently started powerlifting. Adam and I sat down to chat about the process of bodybuilding, coaching others, and the complexity of weight manipulation. Adam and I both agree that those certain principles of weight loss and muscle gain are absolutely necessary, the application of them must be individualized. It was an in-depth and interesting conversation, and if you are interested in hearing why Adam eats pizza from a blender, keep listening. Okay, we're back again with another episode of the Ballistic Strength Podcast. Today, I have a special guest. Uh, is it Adam McKay or Mac- I feel like you said Mackay on the phone. It is Mackay. Yeah, okay. but the spelling's McKay. So hey, it's an easy. I've been dealing with that my whole life, so it's all right. <laughs> and that's uh, Scottish in origin. You would know it. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Highland Games stuff. Um, and as for your profession. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, maybe how you got into your profession? And uh, we'll just start there. Well, yeah, sure, for sure. I mean, my entire adult life and, uh, you know, even those late adolescent years, fitness has been, well, pretty much everything. Um, I've been a coach and a personal trainer for the last about five years, um, a bodybuilder for the last six or seven, and I've recently made a switch to powerlifting. So I'm now working with some coaches out of Blacksmith and uh, doing some educational stuff through a company called Kabuki. Okay, now what? And that's what, is that Chris Duffin's group? Yeah, you know Chris. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't. I don't know Chris. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> we'll just do some name dropping. I though. got to meet Chris actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like an expo or a camp or something? It was a Principles of Loaded Movement seminar. Okay. Yeah. So I'm actually my partner Candace and I are actually flying out to Vegas for the next progression of that oh, nice. seminar seminar in uh, November. So we're really excited about it. Okay. Now you said uh, that you're both a coach and a personal trainer, or had worked as a coach and a personal trainer. What's the difference between those two? How do you how do you distinguish? That's a really good question. I feel like as a personal trainer, you know, my job there is to work with people on fundamental skills and bring people through workouts. You know, so teaching them the fundamental skills. You know, we're there to have a good workout. All of these things. Uh, as a coach, I feel my role is more to provide structure, accountability, and education. If they're in town, if they're local, and we can also throw in those fundamental skills and skill development sessions, great. In a scenario like that, I'm not going to worry so much about, you know, okay, we're here to have a good workout, all of this, because you already have your program and all of that stuff you're running. So with me reviewing those stuff, you know, there's some protocols. You'll be sending me some videos. We'll be tracking some numbers, all these things. Those personal training sessions are a bit different because we'll be there working on fundamental skills that they can go apply to their training programs. Where personal training, we're there to learn, of course, it's always going to be number one, but we're also there to get the good workout. Do you think there's a certain eligibility factor with uh, being coached? What do you mean by eligibility factor? So I'm sure you've heard, um, for example, that, um, that idea of, you know, are you coachable? Oh. Right. What makes someone coachable? So do you have <laughs> what's what's your thoughts on that? And maybe do you have a process of determining whether someone is coachable? Because you will have those clients who will ask for services beyond just personal training that uh, dip into that coaching realm. But maybe right. you're a little bit hesitant about 
as to whether or not they'll actually be able to follow, follow through with being coached? You know, that's a really good question. Um, the ability to coachability was a new term to me as of, you know, before pre bodybuilding, right? I didn't come into any like team sports or anything like that. So my experience with coaching was very limited. And it wasn't until I hired my second bodybuilding coach that I understood what it meant to be coachable. You know, there was also some incidences that I had in business where coachability became a, quite an important term and being coachable. Um, so yeah, coachability is probably the number one deciding factor if whether a client's going to succeed or not. I mean, if you're coachable, that means you're able to listen, you're able to take advice, and there also has to be a certain amount of buy-in as well. I, f- I find, uh, you know, every the coaches I've worked with in the past, those the most successful relationships I've ever had were when I worked with a coach and I trust, believed, and had faith that he knew something I didn't, he had a plan in place, and all I had to do was run program. Do the steps, I will achieve the result. And so I'm a big believer in coaching in general. I myself, as although I am a coach, personal trainer, I still have my own coach. And I'm sure he, and I actually know for a fact, he's also got his own coach. And if he's worth any, you know, his worth, I'm sure he's got a coach in some aspect too, whether it be a business coach or this or that, whatever it may be. But not only do I have that, but I also have a business coach. You know, if I, you know, I would love to be talking to therapists, you know, have chiropractic. If I could have unlimited resources i would hire a coach for absolutely every aspect of my life mm-hmm. coaching's great now as far as would, having, would you would you put a mentor in that same sort of bracket is that sort of the same thing mentorship and coaching i think i would i think i would you know we could probably dive deeper into the definitions of those words and find maybe some differences but at least actually uh i've i've been in like used bookstores and and the bookstore and been looking at uh you know, you're in the self-help section or maybe not the self-help section, but you see like the coaching books and some of those coaching books, they'll use the word coaching, but there'll be bi- there'll be business books yeah. and they talk about coaching in business. Oh, and that's been, yeah, absolutely. I actually have uh, a meeting with a business coach on Thursday. Um, I think it's really important. You know what I mean? And it's not, and it just comes all stems from my belief of having coaching and personal training because if you're a person going to the gym and I was this person, as I'm sure at one point you were as well. You decide it's time to do something. Something isn't right. You want to make a change. You want to do a thing. Whatever it may be, it's time to start exercising, practicing good nutrition, all these things. What was that thing for you? For me, it was being overweight. I mean, I was overweight my entire life um, and identified as a fat person until I was... Uh, about 18 years old. And how, it, how overweight are we talking about? Well, like, okay, so I'm quite short, right? Like, I'm five foot five. And when I, I, I wasn't going to say anything. Hey, it's okay. I like being short. Hey, <laughs> the, the shout out to being short. Bring the it on. People can't tell. No, no, they can't. <laughs> but uh, but we're, we're, we're borderline Oompa Loompa. It's an Oompa Loompa situation, especially when I get that. Uh, um, that bodybuilding tan on for the stage. I am I am the definition of Oompa. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know. My, I, I think grade 12 would be a good one. I remember this was the kind of turning point for me. I was 180 pounds uh, at five foot five, and that was the heaviest I had ever been. And whether or not that sounds like very overweight or whatever, it it's, ca- it's a BMI of 30, and this is considered obese. That makes sense to me. I there felt obese. I mean, I wasn't going to the pool. I wasn't taking my shirt off at the beach. I wasn't confident talking to women. I wasn't even confident about around other men that were in better shape. So 
when you're sitting in this constant place of self unacceptance and and that it's an uncomfortable place to be especially 24 or 7 you know what i mean and social media wasn't even a thing then i couldn't imagine being in that position and also having to deal with the stresses and pressures and constant social media stuff that we get or you know are exposed to every day so I don't like this is going quite quite a ways back, right? Um, I'm 30 now. We're talking about when I was 17, 18. This is in the day and age of fitness infomercials, but you might remember P90X, Tony Horton. Oh yeah, totally. So I think it was uh, you know I still I, remember Tybo. Oh yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> so it's, it's t- Tony Horton, my man over there. It must have been th- like two in the morning, whatever. I and I, I can't remember what it was. I just have this memory of writing my weight like 183 pounds in um, like dry erase marker on a mirror and that was it it was like the next day I had gone out to the mall where they sold infomercial products at a store I bought P90X and I remember because I was walking out and I saw someone I knew and I had the bag and I was very like hiding (laughs) the bag like I was like embarrassed right yeah and that was it for me, man. Like, I I became coachable in the sense that there was books involved. There was a diet plan involved. I read that book front to back. I filled out the worksheets. I watched the videos before doing the workouts. So I, so I knew exactly what to expect. And for three months, like, that was it for you me. You just lived and breathed. I lived and breathed. I 100% changed my diet. I had a very poor diet changed everything about what I was doing in the kitchen. I was working out doing that program. And if you've ever done P90X, it's quite an intense program. And in all honesty, it's a pretty good introduction to fitness. Although I do believe it has holes, it brings you through a wide array of things. That is to say, you know, you learn a lot about training the upper body. You learn about a lot about training the lower body. You do some yoga. You do plyometrics training. It was a good program. It really was. And throughout that 90 days, I went from 183 to 135. Wow. So major weight loss. Sorry, how, how long of a timeline was that? Three months. Three months? Dude. I know. And that, that story, like, I mean, it really, if I had documented the whole thing and sent it into, um, what's the company that does that? Beach Bodies. I'm sure it would have been like, you know, a thing because I came into mm-hmm. that very overweight and I came out of it like shredded six pack. I was small though. 135 right like i was yeah yeah, yeah. was small was yeah small. that is quite small like yeah. e- e- when when i start to get whenever i get closer to 160 i always worry about how small i'm getting totally right and so. i wasn't worried at this point it was the first time i had ever seen abs on myself and i never ever thought that was possible because i used to watch the infomercials in desperation and get get anxiety and depression watching these like fit people or you know it's funny because now i'll watch the same infomercial and it's like these guys aren't even in shape you know now coming at it as <laughs> they're, a, they're they're sort of in shape no, they, they are they kind of kind of maybe on the off season ish yeah but you know coming at it from now you know I, the oil really helps it totally right like i mean coming <laughs> at it now lighting. like as post bodybuilding i mean i've I, i've done about i don't know how many shows but i've got quite a few first place trophies you know mm-hmm. a couple one and one second place I, i've done fairly well in the competitions i've done so now looking back at these people that I used to be like, that's never obtainable for me, and then surpassing what I thought was never even achievable for myself, mm-hmm. it just goes to show we don't know a lot about the true potential that we have. Because if I could go back and talk to my 17, 16, even 18, even 23-year-old self, I'm 30 now, 
and tell that person what was to come, there's no way I would have believed it. You couldn't like, there's just no way. I think for me, I wish I would have had a good mentor when I was that age. Um, I think unfortunately though, especially in Canada, just because we do have a smaller population given the the geographical area that we inhabit, um, there's just like coaches and mentors are just fewer and further between. And it's so true in everything. Like I'm trying to find mentors in a lot of different areas and it is hard. It's very difficult. I want a financial education. Man, no one taught me anything about finances. I'm having a lot of trouble finding people to help with that. I mean, the internet and YouTube can do one thing, but it's Mm -hmm. never going to replace that personal energy exchange you have with another person like you and I are doing right now, you know, and same with fitness. And even there again, I did okay with uh, fitness with P90X and then the five years of training after. But then when I decided really by accident to do a bodybuilding competition and I hired my first coach, his name was Wiseman, shout out Wiseman, I made more progress in that six months than I did in the previous six years. Mm -hmm. So there again, it just speaks to the value of mentorship, education, and, and that coaching. And having that guidance. Totally. Someone to kind of keep you steering straight. Yes. And ever since that experience, I mean, there's nothing, no way to internalize a lesson like living it. Mm-hmm. So after that experience, um, it was quite clear that, okay, there's something to this coaching thing and mentorship. And I'm sure that's rolling over into all arenas. And why wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some people, when, for example, if they do their first physique competition, once they've got their foot through the door, they kind of think like, okay, I've made it. I've learned everything there is to learn. I'm at the peak. I believe that your last competition, you were the most shredded that you've ever been. For sure. Okay. Yeah. So obviously that there was, there was room there for you to make some improvements or to learn along the way since that very first competition, which was how many years ago? That would have been 2013. 2013, and the last competition was last year? Yeah, the right, yeah, August of 2018. Okay, so a five-year period, basically, um, where you could have just been content with knowing what you knew at the time and just doing everything the same, which I think a lot of people fall into the trap to. Um, instead, you, you made progress. You managed to make progress. As developed as you were and as skilled as you were at the start, and, you know, we could talk about genetics and stuff like that. Maybe you have some decent genetics for bodybuilding or at least decent genetics for ambition and drive and that sort of innate, those innate characteristics. Yet there was still room for you to grow. So just kind of looking at that and then thinking about maybe some of your clients or just people in general, the general population, what's, what would you say to those people who, I mean, do you know those people who just kind of think that they have it figured out on, on day one? You know, I don't. Uh, I've been very lucky with my client basis. For whatever reason, I seem to attract, uh, I would say, people of a similar tribe to myself. I definitely know other trainers that, that, or that have clientele and work with populations like you're mentioning. And if I found myself in that situation, I would probably have the discussion with them that I, I here's one belief I have is I'm not personal, I'm not here for everybody. I'm here for a select type of person. Like mm-hmm. I work very well with type A personality or, you know, not to say type A air quotes, but just this, there's a population of people that I work very well with and that's what my wheelhouse. And I tend to try to work within my wheelhouse rather than like if you're brand new to fitness, I'm probably not the best for you. One, because 
my rates are not necessarily a beginner rate Mm -hmm. to I'm going to be kind of, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be a bit bored. So I'm not going to (laughs) be as emotionally there for you as someone who, you know, isn't quite there. You know what I mean? What would bore you in a, in a, in a session? Um, in a session, what would bore me? That's a good question. Or, or what about the person's effort, I guess, would bore you? There again, right? I like uh, the, the clients I work with, they tend to buy into the idea that they're on a journey. They buy into the, I, the belief that I can help them. They buy into the whole idea of the, the personal training model or the coaching model and they get excited about the fact they're on this path of change and growth. So I guess what would bore me is if I was working with someone who, A, didn't believe in themselves, in which case that's going to be not a long-term partnership right off the rattle. That won't last, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you've had experience with. You know, someone comes up, they show up, you know, they they got excited about the idea. They thought they could spend some money on this thing, but when they realize there's effort involved, they're gone. How quickly can you tell (sighs) if someone is not going to make it? Well, I usually am pretty extensive with my interviewing process. There again, I've been very lucky with the people I draw. Um, they're, like, I've had such a high success rate with my clients. But you know what? That's quite new, actually. So if I think back to very early in 2019, I, you know, especially around January, right? there would be clients that come out mostly on the coaching end of things, not so much mm-hmm. the personal training. But they're like, yeah, I want the program. I want to know more about nutrition. I'm ready to do this. I'm going to do that. And they pay, they pay their money, they get delivered their things, and then that's kind of it, right? So there's protocols in place. Please send you know some videos of you squatting or deadlifting or whatever it may be. You know, please, you know, I, something I'll commonly do is have people track what they're currently eating. Not because I generally believe that you know there's much to be gained outside of show me that this is the real thing. Prove to me that you're serious. Track. Tracking is so boring, it's so tedious, it's pain in the ass, mm-hmm. but prove to me you're serious. Yeah. Do it. I, that is a, a metric that I use as well. I, I give people a few simple tasks, which include tracking, and basically if they can't send me their uh, a week of food tracking, so oftentimes I'll say, you know, two weeks is better, but at least a week. 100%. I'll, and for me, and this is just me, I'll usually get, before I even sign them up, Yeah. Um, this is before we, we sign any contracts or I even mention prices. I say, uh, they come to me, they're interested in doing something about their diet or their, or whatever. I'm like, okay, here's what I want you to do just so I have a bit more information. I'll get you to fill out this intake form that I have. And then I want you to do seven days of tracking. Um, and we're just going to adjust the privacy settings in my fitness pal so I can go in there and take a look at it. And I'll give you my thoughts and, uh, basically where you are right now and where you could go from there. And then if you're down with that, we'll, we'll talk about the actual contract. And, and that's like that. a fantastic process. Cause when you come through that funnel, you're already, it, it does so much for one, it proves to you and they've proven to themselves. I'm serious. I did some things, but now you also already have momentum because mm-hmm. if you can get people to do a few simple tasks in one week and you can just build on that, cause all it takes is little tiny changes, right? couple of things anyone who's been around in fitness or done anything successful either with a body transformation a competition powerlifting kettlebell meets anything you know that you get to that point not within three months of really solid effort or a week or a month it's a long period of time 
with little bits of effort consistently over that time. So I like that process and it's something very similar I do. I don't even make people do a week. Just do me three days. Right. Even three days is, you know, some, a lot of people have the challenge, Mm -hmm. right? But, uh, it is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, now coming back around to bodybuilding, bodybuilding is very cyclical. There's processes where you're building up and processes where you're tearing down. Um, but at the same time, again, coming back around to, it's been five years of bodybuilding for you now. Do you look at it as a cycle of sort of the same stuff over and over or, or do you think of it as a process? Is, is, if you were to sort of encapsulate, you know, the essence or the ethos of fitness or health and fitness, is it a process or is it a destination? It's a really good question. For one, I wouldn't recommend bodybuilding for 99.9% of the population. Um, it's a, it's a very, you know, I don't want to necessarily say it's vain and all these things, although it does attract a lot of vain and, and you know, maybe not the most uh, intrinsically looking people, like uh, inward thinking or right. you know, deep thinking People, no offense, you know, I shouldn't say that. I am a bodybuilder, so it's very tough. But um, clearly, you think about these things, so that's not you. Yeah, but, um, but 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 yeah. So with bodybuilding, there's a lot of dangers. For one, you know, especially when you're a natural bodybuilder. I mean, of course, there's dangers when you get into pharmaceuticals and all of that. But even as a natural bodybuilder, getting to those levels of conditioning is so hard on your hormones, all of these things. Like I'm still. This has been a year. And I'm still recovering certain aspects of my hormones and my fitness uh, from the previous year of mm-hmm. getting that lean. Um, and yes, I do consider it a process. For instance, I told you I'm switched to powerlifting. Mm-hmm. I've done that in the name of bodybuilding, you know, because I've been training hypertrophy style for so long, for so long that I feel like my progress has somewhat become slower. So now, you know, there again is a which is completely normal. Yeah, right? Exactly. So now in the name of putting on more muscle and hopes to getting bigger, uh, I'm gonna my focus is well let's get as strong as I possibly can with some of these basic compound lifts and uh, see how that carries over into actual muscle mass. So I do consider it a process, right? And it took me however many years to get to here to now switch to to this. Another thing with the powerlifting too is, you know, I've never seen programs written like like these powerlifting coaches write programs. They're very good, as compared to bodybuilding coaches uh, with their programs. Although they're great, they're not as in depth and as specific. And as the periodization with powerlifting, uh, is just on a whole nother level. At least in my, as compared to my experience with bodybuilding. Yeah, I think we're looking at when we're looking at bodybuilding versus powerlifting. We have a sport in bodybuilding where it's not performance-based, at least not while you're doing it in, in that sense. Um, but powerlifting is performance-based. And there's certain aspects of training at your highest levels, you know, close to your absolute threshold that require certain things to be um, adhered to, certain, certain periodization protocols. Whereas with hypertrophy, a lot of the times, just about anything will work if you do enough volume. That's the, right? Yeah. And, you know, basic things like, you know, 
give yourself a day or two before hitting that certain muscle group again. Otherwise you're just, you, you, you know, it's going to hurt and you're maybe you won't get as many sets in and stuff like that. Just obvious things. And that stuff can be very subjective, but when we're talking about powerlifting, it's very numbers focused. We want to make sure that we're hitting our numbers and keep sort of pushing that dial up and up and up, which is hard to do just based on subjective, um, uh, assessment alone. And so we try to create that program where it's periodized a certain way where we're building up and then we allow for some recovery and build up and allow for some recovery. That's yes. And I will say this too, like with my current training program, I'm training three days a week. I've never ever in the last 12 years trained so little right with three days a week. And Candace, my partner yesterday, she's like, you are the biggest I've ever seen you. Which is quite interesting, right? Because, you know, coming back to those early days, you know, P90X had you training six days a week and your off day, you did an hour long stretch video. Mm-hmm. So you were active every day. Were those all full body? No, there was like, uh, it would be like chest back, plyometrics, um, shoulders and arms, Kempo karate, oh. legs, and then what was the sixth day? I can't remember right now. Cardio or something like that? yoga that's why you don't remember it yeah anyways yeah something like that (laughs) so anyways and then there was another phase where it was broken up very much the same i think and think instead it was uh, like a push pull like back and biceps was one day and then the next day was uh uh shoulders chest and arms or sorry sorry shoulders chest triceps uh and then even through bodybuilding i mean if i look at my last show i mean i was training every single day for sure and it was just in the name of that that feeling of oh, well if I don't train today I'm not going to get any leaner it's that that fear of missing out on potential progress mm-hmm. where again when I go into my next show I'm going to be wiser and smarter and understand because I'm experiencing it now you know with training less you have less inflammation the the programming recovery I never you know I always heard and I you know peripherally was aware that recovery was important but especially going through my 20s I think like most male lifters you I mean recovery is the last thing you you really care about. You don't mm-hmm. really care. You just want to get you know big or whatever or stronger. I think especially for me in the beginning, I did not follow a program, so it was largely just based on feel. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what isn't sore today? I'm going to train that. Exactly. Or even if it is, I might train it anyway. But yeah, like yeah. If, obviously, if it's chest and biceps, I'm going to train it anyway. Yeah, and you know what? There's too many people like you, myself, you, you know, especially you. You look great. A lot of muscle definition. You carry a lot of muscle mass, all of these things. You're very strong. And people always say, you know, well, you know, how did you train when you were coming up? And a lot of us have these stories where, well, you know, I trained every day, this, that, another thing. But no, no, no. Now I'm, now I'm smarter. Now I'm training less. Now I'm programming recovery. Mm-hmm. But they hear, all they hear is the story of how you came up. What's interesting is that. I mean, would you say that most of your progress, at least physically, was done in those first few years? <sighs> no, I don't. I think it's. I think it's very. It's Not even those over. newbie gains. Well, I mean, there was newbie gains. I mean, I was always kind of think I like. I mean, I always. I remember being a kid, and I seem to have like bigger arms mm-hmm. than other kids. Um, but. I mean, yeah, I mean, there was definitely gains in the beginning, but there again, right? So my first few years, like there was a little bit of leg training in uh, P90X and then the four or five, however many years after P90X, there wasn't much training of the legs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of upper body things. I think if I, like I wasn't squatting, 
I wasn't doing the leg press. I wasn't doing deadlifts. I wasn't, uh, you know, whatever it may, case may be. I wasn't training legs much. Mm-hmm. And even when I started to train legs, um, it was almost like a, as long as I train legs, it's good enough. So it wasn't like legs wasn't a tough day. It was like maybe three exercises, four or five, you know, leg extensions, leg curls, nothing major, some calf raises, whatever. Right. Um, but there again, when it, once I met Wiseman, okay. Now, Wiseman grew up in the jungles of South Africa. This guy is a beast. <laughs> in the most literal sense of the word. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> he takes legs very seriously. Um, so training with him for six months, legs went from my weakest body part to my strongest body part and is still my strongest body part on stage. It mm-hmm. stands out from my quads and, and, and hamstrings are what set me apart. That and conditioning. You know, I'm not the biggest guy. Mm-hmm. I've got some wheels, uh, okay wheels, and I can get, usually get, I'm usually a little bit more conditioned than other athletes on, on the stage. And that's playing up a, a strength that can be a lot of other lift, uh, competitors weakness exactly right yeah yeah so i in that sense that has universal application where it's like you know you're not going to be perfect no so it's it's really important that you i mean obviously you want to work on weaknesses but at least in the competition sense exploit your strengths and exploit exploit their weaknesses yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah that that's absolutely true um I feel like we potentially got in the weeds there. I feel like you had asked another question that maybe we didn't hit. Let's actually come back around to some more basic stuff, which is really, I prefer to use the term fundamental. And when I use the word fundamental, it implies that it's something that isn't um, strictly exclusive to a beginner phase. Fundamental means it's something that always has to be there. Right. It's not just something that you do in the beginning and then you leave it right. and move on. So things like meal planning. Um, do you ever get that thing about meal planning where people feel like they, they, they'll say, Oh, I don't want to eat the same thing all the time. That's their impression of meal planning. Is that true? Or is that a myth? Well, it's definitely true that there is a population of people that go, they hear meal plan and they go to that camp. They, or they go to that belief. They're like, well, I don't want to eat the same thing every day. And I understand that now as someone referring to bodybuilding i mean eating the same thing every day at least for a period obviously maybe not obviously when you're training for a competition at least a large popular maybe i'll speak for myself when i'm training for the competition competitions bodybuilding stage i tend to eat at the same times and the same foods within meals not the same meal five to six times a day but the same foods day after day and then those portions get adjusted adjusted over time as my daily requirements for energy change based on my body composition and energy output and the reason i do it that way is from a scientific point it's just there's no messy there's very it limits the amount of variability the amount of vari- if there's a mistake well you can say well i know where these certain things are at as opposed to someone who takes a flexible dieting approach where they're tracking and you know what they eat today might be completely different what they eat tomorrow although the macro nutrients might be the same the meal timings and food selections might vary greatly i don't love do you start with a flexible dieting and then move into a more strict phase or oh, do you start with it- the more um calculated right so where i just what i just said is strictly to to myself and the way i approach my dieting for bodybuilding Mm -hmm. i should preface this by i am not a nutritionist by any means 
Uh, I am a personal trainer, a coach. Uh, I do have some education in nutrition through P, uh, Precision Nutrition and a couple other uh, reputable companies. But at the end of the day, not a nutritionist. We're not doctors. We're not we're nutritionists, not and we we're not we don't prescribe meal plans. Yeah, don't don't prescribe. Uh, there's no uh, new nutritional therapy going on here. Yeah. Um, but with my clients that want to do nutrition, I tend to lay out a few different options. Meal planning is one of them, but I don't love the meal plan because I don't see it. Even when I do it for bodybuilding, it's a short-term thing. There's a time frame. There's a destination. There's a reason for that. So, I mean, the best diet is for anybody is going to be the one, A, that you know you get excited about or at least that works for you and your schedule. And two is something you can stick to for the rest of your life because you're always going to be – nutrition is something, like you say, a fundamental that never goes away. Mm-hmm. We have to face, deal with, we get to embrace nutrition on a daily basis. So certain aspects of that are not going to be there forever. Like you're never going to have a client say, well, you're tracking for the rest of your life or you're on this meal plan for the rest of your life. There, I like the tracking because it teaches people what's in the foods that they eat. So that's a good thing, right? There's education involved there. I like the meal planning if someone needs to lose weight for something or an yeah. event or they're just let's goal based. Yeah, or let's right. say they're like quite obese okay. to a dangerous point and they need to lose weight quickly because uh, it's you know ca- could potentially cause complications to their health. Then I might say, well, hey, you know, I don't know where like we'll talk about where their current education is for nutrition and you know what the meal plan or the meal like. Let's say we we come up with a list of macros, you know, here, you know, you want to eat this X amount of protein, carbs, fats. Here's an example Mm -hmm. of what that might look like. How many people do you find actually just straight up take that example and run with it? And the ones who maybe don't? Zero percent and myself included. Um, So if I receive a meal plan, I'm not going to follow. I never have followed it 100 percent. There's always a tweak of this or that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking like within reason, it's 100%. Um, but there's always little minor tweaks, you know, like it might say, I don't know, just as an example, I'm trying to think here. Oh, well, if it says, like, if I have a meal plan that says you must eat tilapia, I'm eating cod because I'm not going to eat tilapia. Right, right, right. Not a thing. So, you know, we're not talking about major changes, but just little things. When I, when I, and uh, I should have said this earlier, but when I refer to meal planning, I don't mean a program itself right i mean the behavior of planning your meals right so in that sense now we can come back around to offering someone an example of what a meal plan might look like or a meal program might look, maybe not a program but uh the average day yeah we'll say yeah just as an example right as an example you know this is how you might pair up your foods for example and this is maybe how many in the day there might be and how you would space them out that sort of thing right um and so i i've had clients in the past who um, and I'm just going to throw an extreme example, but I've had someone who I'd look at their, their, uh, their, their meal journal that they had sent me as, as per request. When we start the program, I asked them to track for seven days. Right. And I've looked at a day and it's like literally just chicken breast and yogurt. Right. And, and, t- and in terms of timing, it's just kind of all over the place, no real rhyme or rhythm. And so one of the things I do look for is I want to look at, regardless of what foods they're choosing, yes. how many meals uh, a day they're having, I'm looking for what is the, um, what's the pattern? What's the consistent thread? Is there a, um, 
a method to the madness to this person's eating habits. Right. And so then I compare that to the next day and the next day and the next day. And some things that are, I don't, maybe not necessarily red flags, but if they literally eat something different every day, I mean like completely different. Um, There's no uh, uh, consistency in what they're doing because consistency I think is really important if you had food or weight based goals. Yes. There are certain things that, Again, coming back around to that idea of variability, the more variability there is, it's harder to take control of your your diet exactly. and your weight. And I think for me, that's that's really what it comes down to is someone wants to make a change. That means you want to literally take control of this part of your life that is largely influenced by external factors. You know, we live in a very different food environment than we used to live in. Live in and it might be easy in... Another country where they don't have the kind of access to calories per capita, they don't have the access to food marketing and junk foods that we have, and maybe they can just sort of play it by ear and they'll be absolutely fine. But we live in a very different food environment where there's a lot of temptation, there's a lot of convenience, um, and we're not even talking about energy expenditure yet. We're just talking about the food. So... Um, I'm looking for some semblance of consistency and and if it's not there, then I'm going to try to help them develop some consistency. So when I asked you about if you give someone an example meal plan and let's say this is someone who you see no consistency in their diet, you literally give them an example of, hey, if you just do this or something like this in terms of the meal timing, in terms of how you pair your foods, in terms of how many average calories are in each meal – then you're going to feel better, probably. You're going to feel like your energy is just more regulated, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I do have those people who literally, I'll give them the example. They won't even just carbon copy it, and they'll just sort of keep doing the thing that they're doing, which is basically there's no pattern at all and no consistency. Right. Have you ever experienced that? I haven't. Not not so much. I mean, well, actually, I mean, that's all not true. So... <clears throat> What I would say is a common, maybe I'll say, not negative, but just part of the game, is you have people with these goals, and they want to do these things, and it's usually specific, in my experience, the extremely obese, hmm. right? And they didn't, people don't become extremely obese overnight. Yeah, or, you don't go to sleep skinny and wake up fat. No, right? And so there's usually mental, you know, there's, there's usually huge... Um, there's a huge psychological portion piece that get these people to these very unhealthy yeah. weights, which we haven't even tapped into yet. Are we going to expand on that right now? Is that it where we're going? It might just happen. It might just happen. It might just happen. So with Continue. those people, um, I work with one gentleman actually, and it was, you know, enough was enough. You know, he's six feet tall. He's 375 pounds and he knows, you know, he's a very young man and he's a father, all these things. It's time to lose weight. So, his call to action he started doing extremely long fasts and before we met and when we got together it was like okay well this guy's doing 72 hour fasts and that's i'm gonna say that's dangerous at the very least so it's ambitious it's ambitious the guy was doing it man (laughs) that's like minnesota diet experiment fast yeah so now this guy we have to now this guy's got a fear of food so now it's like okay how do we teach this guy to eat in a way where he's not scared of food and and develop a much healthier relationship with food over the course of six months we were able to make large improvements i'm not going to say it was perfect 
the rate of weight loss was extreme. I didn't like it. I was I wanted to slow things down a bit. Right. In about six months, he lost a hundred pounds, which is significant. It's but after that hundred pounds, it stalled, and it wasn't it didn't stall because the the program and these things stopped working. It was almost like he got to a point where that was good enough, and yeah. his efforts and behaviors were no longer consistent with the action plan. So fast forward another six months, he's the same weight, not that he was, he's the same weight, he's that same 100 pounds less mm-hmm. um, than he was. So he still lost his 100 pounds, but he's, you know, he says he would like to continue to head down and get help, because he's still not there, right? He's still a heavy guy. Yeah. Um, but the but but, way better off health-wise than he was. But the behaviors and the actions and stuff aren't consistent with what he's saying he wants to achieve um another there's there's more effort that not that he hasn't put any effort in at this point but if you do want to keep taking yourself to further levels the effort that you put in needs to be commensurate with that so for someone like you who can be relatively lean year-round um to get to stage lean that requires more commitment and more effort than yeah. you're doing on a regular basis. Sacrifice, I think, would be the name of the game there. Because for him, he, when he lost 100 pounds, he sacrificed his beer. You know, he sacrificed his dinners out with the family. He sacrificed a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even like the word sacrifice. He invested. Com- compromise. He, he compromised. He made a very wise compromise. And then once he achieved that certain level, whether or not his cup, his you know stress cup, you know maybe he maybe he was weared up, worn out a bit because he was working hard. Um, those those other elements started coming back. Started getting going out to the movies and getting the popcorn and the butter. Right. Started having the beers on the weekend. All these things. What was his typical alcohol consumption? I I would say. Like, over the course of weekends, you know, it's tough to say because they, they don't report the bad behaviors as much as they report the good ones. Um, I don't know. If I were to guess, you know, maybe 12 beers or so over the weekend. And then, of course, all the food that comes along with that. Right. Yeah. yeah. But who knows? It could have been more. could have been less. I would have opted for more <laughs> over less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had someone in the past who uh, it was obvious that alcohol was a part of their lifestyle, which is fine. Um but in that, if you evaluate sort of their diet and their activity and you feel like this is a major influencer to their weight, if their goal is to lose weight, um, I think it's important to set limits, yeah. right? So going into this weekend, you're having like a cocktail party or something, let's set, and this is generous, let's set a three beer limit yeah, or something like that. Um, and I've had difficulty having people really adhere to that. Usually it ends up being like two and a half liters. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, that brings up an interesting point. Like for one, if your goal is weight loss, there's going to be a losing weight. You know, there's too much emphasis on, oh, you can achieve something easily. You know, mm-hmm. you can become a millionaire with ease. You can lose weight with ease. Take the pill, whatever, all these yeah. things. Losing weight is a largely uncomfortable process. You okay, have yeah. to go into a deficit. For a period of time. The more weight you lose, the longer that deficit time is going to be. Now, there may be some benefits, I'm sure there is, to coming in and out of that deficit and taking a longer time. But not everyone has the vision to look two, three, four, five years ahead. They're looking at next month, next week, tomorrow, right? So it can be hard to, I guess not hard, the, the challenge is the skill there lies in 
helping people expand their vision and having that buy-in to work with you or work on themselves Mm -hmm. over a long period of time using tools like you have where instead of drinking two and a half liters, let's drink one liter of alcohol. You know what I mean? What's the next baby step? It's, it's, you're still having that thing because sometimes we have these trigger things, right? And as long as we have that thing, it, it, I don't think, and I'm just talking out of my ass, but, um, I feel like the total amount of it is not quite as important as, as the psychological and physical satisfaction of actually having it in the first place. So having one serving versus many servings. Now there are certain, um, behavioral things that go along with say, you know, we tend to eat more when we eat out of a bag versus off a plate, that sort of thing. So I think having that knowledge helps. Yeah. But, uh, as you know, the more that you try to restrict something, you tend to crave it more. So, I, I don't like the idea of restricting things, but if we're going to put it there, let's maybe plan it and let's plan for a reasonable amount of it that it's not going to offset things too much. Absolutely. Yeah, I have one uh, lady who actually has made a, so much progress just from doing two simple things. Stop picking. So when she's cooking her meals, uh, she's a picker. And hey. I'm totally, yeah, all, I do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if, you know, for some of these, you know, heavy pickers, that could, in the grand total of a day, equal up to a thousand calories. And so, I mean, just to throw or, a number. Or, or, at, or at least um, overtake the deficit that you're trying to do. A hundred percent. So just from, you know, limit, at first it was limit your picking. And now mm-hmm. she's actually not picking at all, which is something she's never actually done before. And from sitting down f- for her meals because she was a she's a very on the go type person. So we just have these two things we're doing. You know, there was no meal plan delivered. There was no none of this. It was let's stop picking because we took a look at her behavior. Looked at her behavior. Yeah. And we're saying, okay, what are what's the easiest thing we could potentially change that's going to have the greatest return or greatest you know impact? What's yeah. going to impact your? Do you ask that question if people are pickers? No, I don't How'd that ask. Come about? That's a great question. So one thing I asked one question, I asked many questions, but one of the questions I asked is what do you feel is limit stopping preventing you from achieving your goals? What patterns and behaviors are yeah. are a part of your current practice that maybe aren't serving you? And that question allows people to go inside and yes. and really what I feel like it? that's a standard question, it, or at least it uh, should be. It should be. I, I would I would hope that it's not an original. I'm sure it isn't. I'm sure I've been asked that question at some point. You heard it here first. Yeah. By the book today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and, and people know. People are smarter than we give them credit for. They are. They are. Especially when it comes to the, the one topic that we should all know the best, and that's ourselves. Um so, you know, people will come back and be like, well, shit, you know, I, I know I drink too much or, man, I, those McDonald's cheeseburgers are beaten. They call me. They call me, or, <laughs> you know, little things like, oh, man, like three creams and three sugars in my coffee might be a bit much, you know, little things. Yeah. And it's crazy what you can do with little things like, you know, let's just cut your cream and sugar in your coffee in half and, you know, maybe make a few more meals from home and. Mm-hmm. Little changes or even just over have, time, or even just decrease the frequency. Right. So exactly. you can still have your three cream and sugar, but instead of five of those a week, maybe we cut it down to two or three. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's always meeting someone where they're at because that was one of my early mistakes coming in it as a you know early on was I know what works 
You know what I mean? So if I can just show people what works, they're going to achieve their goals. But sometimes what I was doing or this air quotes is so far away mm-hmm. from what these people are doing that it's just they can't make that leap. They need that intermediate steps along the way. And even for myself, when I completely changed my diet, what I changed to now looking back wasn't perfect. I was doing things like sandwiches, canned soups, uh, you know, vegetables and all of that stuff. So it wasn't perfect. I, you know, I don't think canned soups and sandwiches with deli meats and cheeses and stuff like that is necessarily the healthiest thing you could eat. But it was a lot healthier than what I was eating. Whether be- what, what's your most atrocious fat person meal that you made or something that you concocted? I put a well. This is something. I put a <laughs> pizza piece of pizza in a blender with. <laughs> With three, three eggs uh, and a bunch of this is actually this was actually competition. Was this post workout? This, this was actually like a cheat meal while competing. So this wasn't even fat person. This is shredded. I haven't eaten food, enough food in a long time, and I think this is a good idea. <laughs> pizza piece of pizza in a blender with cheese and uh, eggs, and I made a pizza omelet. Okay, why the blender? So how else are you gonna blend the? Pi- you needed to blend the pizza. <laughs> Oh, did you make it? Pizza. Did you fry it up as a pancake or what? Yeah, yeah, omelet, man. <laughs> it was so good from my memory. Anyways, try oh. it. Try the pizza omelet. It's good. What about in your fat boy days? Oh man, I used to make at. I, mean, I used to make poutines at home with just like okay. an unrealistic amount of cheese. Um, same with like at, making pizzas at home. I mean, the diet was just bad. It was a lot of grilled cheese. It was a lot of macaroni. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of a lot of carbs and uh, fat. Macaroni, definitely. Right. Yeah. I basically just ate a lot anyway, like just generally, but I do remember macaroni being there. One of, so some of the grossest things looking back would have been like melting cheese and putting it on popcorn. That sounds With insane. butter still Never being there. Never heard of that before. Yeah. That's good. I've, uh, I do remember one client back at the place I used to work who said that she had put melted cheese on potato chips. That's insane. Yeah. I ate a nine patty cheeseburger at McDonald's. <laughs> From my Just ninth birthday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing. That must have been a special request. It was absolutely. It was not on the menu. Okay. Did, that, also, did they actually prepare it for you that way or did you just buy them separately no, and then stack them? No, they prepared them? it for me. They were they were a little thrown off by the whole experience. <laughs> and so was I because in my mind as a nine-year-old child and I'm picturing this nine-pattied burger, it had a piece of cheese in between every... <laughs> thing there was only one piece of cheese yeah, so yeah. that was a bit of a letdown mm-hmm. i also don't suggest that anyone ever do that it was a, <laughs> not a good birthday for me so uh we had a co-worker who um was vegan for quite some time and the way that he broke his meat fast um was with a pound of bacon oh that's he fried up to a do pound it. of bacon and and went to town well and, and i don't know what the result of that was but that is what he did i had a friend who went vegan for a week and then uh he had a few beers and next thing you know, he was on the phone ordering a pizza with capicoli, pepper, like ground beef. I think it had four different animals on <laughs> on the pizza. The barnyard pizza. Yeah, and that was the end of his vegan adventure. I've done a number of different diets in my past. I have tried a raw food diet where I ate a lot of uh, raw vegetables and nuts um, you can ask my friend, uh, hackers how, uh, I smelt. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was hard to digest. Um, 
I did do uh, a keto diet based off of Lyle McDonald's Ultimate Diet 2.0. That was actually uh, a copy of it was given to me by my coworker, former coworker, uh, who we just mentioned. Um, I did. I'm not sure exactly how long I did it for, um, but I do remember speaking very like getting towards the end of the program and because uh, I was training people at that time. Yeah. And, and some of my clients would, would tell me that you're speaking really slow. Oh yeah. Um, so that was, that was interesting and that was a challenge. Um, so I did that one and I did Chris Gethin's, uh, uh, bodybuilding program that has like all the videos, you follow the videos and you do the nutrition and you do all that stuff. Uh, I forget exactly which one that was, I think it was his first video series. Did okay. you ever watch that one? I didn't. Um, but I did that whole, well, I didn't do the whole program. I think it's a 12 week program and I got to, uh, I think about seven and a half weeks in and I made a lot of progress. I actually did a bod pod at that time. I started that program, um, at 16% body fat based on just based on the bod pod and whether it's DEXA bod pod, none of these things are a hundred percent accurate. And the important thing is that you, you track the difference in percentage uh, with the same test, yes. you know, sort of over a period of time. Exactly. It's like that, it, that will be accurate exactly. or at least as accurate. It's like as if it you're be. using a food scale that's broke, like way off the marker. Well, it doesn't right. really matter as long as you're always using that food. Yes. scale. Yeah. Um, and I went down to 12%. Yep. So that was great for me. That was the lowest I had ever been at that time. Um, 12% is low. And, uh, that was, and that was hard. That was really hard. That was straight edge. I even took the milk out of my coffee. Yeah. And, if you know me and my coffee, like that's oh, the last thing I want to do. Man, trust me, I feel your pain <laughs> on the milk. And every time I do a competition, it's that I always hold on to that. Yeah, yeah. Just it's to, like it's always there. So why bother to change that? Oh, right? Yeah. But at the same I'll give time, up it's like so much it's, else if I can just keep exactly. This. But at the same time, it's like, well, that's. I can still have the coffee and take the milk out, and that's like an easy, you know, fifty calories or whatever less. I could do that. Yeah. But I don't want to do that. No, it's um, just a tool. It's just another card you play. Yeah, exactly. And let's just hope to that we don't have to play it at all. No. Uh, so that that program was supposed to be really hard edge. And um, I was doing the tilapia. Uh, I oftentimes, my last meal of the day would be um, a pack of spinach and extra lean ground beef. Yep. Um, and uh, and so that was hard, but it was, it was good. It was nice to follow a program. And to be honest, I learned... More during that program than I had in all the years previous of training other people in terms of like learning about weight loss, learning what's possible, learning a reasonable amount of return on the investment and like how much time it takes to lose a certain amount of weight and the the, the consistency of changes that you'll go through uh, visually or aesthetically. So I learned a lot from that and it really uh, opened my eyes to the amount of work it does take to just reach your goals if we're just speaking generally. But, uh, yeah, I guess like going from 16 down to 12, I, it's not super low by any means, but, um, it was definitely the lowest I had ever been. And I was, and I was already, you know, people felt that I was, you know, lean enough at the time, but growing up fat, I never really felt that way anyway. That was your background as well. Was it? Yeah. 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 I was, I was in the obese camp as well. Yeah. Um, I, my heaviest was 228. Um, and I'm not a tall guy. I'm five, eight. Yeah. 
So yeah, I was a fat mofo. I, I gained a lot of weight after my dad died. Right. Um, looking back at some pictures, cause I was always on the heavier side, but then when I look back at some pictures on the, on the day of the funeral, for example, I was actually not particularly overweight, but then in the years following, I put on a ton of weight. Right. So obviously there was a big psychological component there that fed into that. Um, but, uh, yeah. So coming back around to different diets and stuff like that, um, I got onto the superfood bandwagon, like big time. Right. Um, I bought a book about superfoods, was buying the goji berries from this, gotta get those goji uh, gotta get those goji berries. I went to like this little hole in the wall, Asian, uh, grocer that oh, had yeah. goji berries this in the is back. This part of the adventure. Cause you know, uh, health foods, they have such a high markup and, uh, but if you kind of go to the source because a lot of these things are things that are just, they're everyday things in other cultures usually, yeah. right? It's its really, oftentimes these health foods are marketed as, you know, this this rare uh, berry from the Amazon forests, yeah. uh, this sort of thing. So whether it's goji berries, whether it's acai berries. Um, There's, the list goes on and on. Yeah, Moringa, it does. All of them. Yeah. So I totally got on that bandwagon. And one thing I learned from uh, doing that was I didn't get anything out of it. Right. I tried to to find any metrics I could to assess, okay, what have I gotten out of putting all this focus and time and effort into all this superfood bullshit? And uh, I couldn't find anything. Right. And so that the coming back around to that that diet I did, or that program I did that uh, with the diet, the nutrition and the training and stuff like that, I learned way more from doing that and, and realistic ex- expectations than anything that was ever sold to me or marketed to me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think, you know, like you say, you get excited about something like a ketogenic diet or a superfood diet or paleo, whatever it might be. Those things, although they're great, they all it's all about the same thing. Care about what you're eating. You know what I mean? Eat with intention, eat sustainably, do it for a long period of time, and you will see positive results. Mm-hmm. Any wacko diets that you went on? <laughs> you know, I've been, I tried. Uh, or, or even maybe not even some extreme ones. Like there are some ones that are perfectly fine. I like, tried to go, yeah, you know, I tried to go carb free. I had a friend okay. who was doing, this is before keto was super popular. And I wouldn't even say, yeah, you know, it probably would have been considered keto nowadays. But, I uh, think Atkins is even still considered in that camp. Yeah, Although, right. Although, like, I don't keto know. isn't a diet. It's a physiological state of being. Exactly. That, that's where I think the, that, that blurred line is. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it was a Atkins or keto, whatever. It was a no-carb situation. And uh, I definitely, I didn't stick to it long. I did it for about a month. And definitely lost weight. But, I mean, I cut out a f- macronutrient. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. I was at a deficit. I don't think there's anything magical about eating or not eating carbs I just think you know one thing I was I was eating with purpose yeah you know what I mean yes, it wasn't structure just, I wasn't just waking up and I was like well what's going to happen today it was like I am not eating carbs so I have to prepare this food and plan ahead yeah yeah especially if you're not eating carbs that's probably the most prolific um food component of most convenience foods exactly in breakfast, I mean, oatmeal is super fast to make, pretty easy. Yeah. Throw some Greek yogurt and some protein powder in there. You got a high-protein breakfast with some good carbs, a little bit of fat. It's good. I did try carb backloading too, which is where you eat carbs but only post-exercise kind mm-hmm. of a thing. or uh, pre. And then I try, I've tried like low-carb 
uh, except before and after exercise. So you're eating carbs, but only around exercise for the fuel of right. that activity and then for the replenishment of glycogen and other things afterwards. But it always comes back to the same thing. It's just balanced nutrition over the throughout the day. I'm also, for my own practice, I like eating you know, quite a few meals a day. I like to eat often. So I'll eat four or five meals a day. Um, Do you consider that a lot? I consider that, no, I mean, I don't. I consider yeah. four it, the minimum. Like, I, I don't think I've ever eaten three meals in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I, it's just, I like that balance with four or five because I get, the other thing I like too is I like to feel full. And I find if I'm going six, seven meals a day, those meals portions become very small. Yeah. Now, just anecdotally, I will say, I think very small meals frequently are great for digestion. If you think about a fire that's burning, um, and let's say you've got a campfire, and I throw a massive bunch of logs on that fire, the fire's not going to go out, but it's going to dim before it then has a chance to for the ambers to light all that up and you have a big rip-roaring fire, right? Whereas if you're just kind of... like an analogy for gas. <laughs> Rip roaring. It might be. Who knows? <laughs> and, um, as compared to, you know, if you're just kind of throwing twigs on it, a fire that's already quite healthy. Is this more to do with the total amount at one time? I just think it has to do with speed of digestion. You know what I mean? I think uh, the way our bodies create our enzymes and all that stuff with smaller meals over time, I think that things are just re- more readily absorbed. Uh, maybe we don't create as much waste and all of that stuff. Again, not a dietitian, but based on the education and my experience, I've seen better results with frequent small meals. But back to what I currently practice, those small meals don't necessarily satiate my mental state or make me feel full. Mm-hmm. I like to have feel like I have a good full belly after a workout. Adam's rubbing his tummy right I'm now. I'm rubbing the tummy. Um, and I like to feel quite well fed going into a workout. Now, right. all of this stuff is, whether it's important, not important, whatever the science is about whatever... Um, the actual effects of these things are, at the very least, I know, I feel better. I, If I mentally know, okay, I'm well fed when I'm going into a workout, mm-hmm. I'm going to mentally push it, whether it's placebo or not. I believe overall the science indicates that um, if you're in a fed state, your performance is enhanced. Well, and, and I'm sh- it is. You're absolutely right. It 100% is. But like, w- at least compared to a non-fed state. Exactly, right? Yeah. And whether or not that science, which we know it is, the science is there or not, how do you feel when, you know, going into... It can be very individual. And that's, yeah. and that's I think there's a lot of talk, more talk about that now, just l- paying more attention to the, um, like the 90th percentiles and looking at those outliers because, especially when it comes to a program or a diet or something like that, yeah, we can take a look at the bell curve and say, well, for most people, um, it's going to be this way. But you know, you might fall into that small group where you'll get a lot more results doing this particular thing or getting no results. Creatine, for example, is a great example. We have what are called non-responders to creatine. Um, Whether that's just because they always maintain a high muscular um, concentration of creatine in their muscles, and therefore that's why they don't see any improvement upon supplementation because they're always at basically saturation then uh but regardless of that there are those people who you know taking this thing won't do diddly shit for and then there's those other people who are going to be uh a lot of times vegans or vegetarians who don't eat a lot of animal products so they're not getting a lot of creatine in their diet 
um, they'll see the biggest improvements in supplementing with creatine. Absolutely. So, you know, those are, those are other cards that you can play, right? But the only way you know is if you try Absolutely. and you can't be so closed minded or even too scientific to, to just rely on the averages. A hundred percent. I mean, there are, there are people who, uh, you know, they, they operate really well on two meals a day, right? Like, so I don't, I try not to, pr- uh, prescribe to any certain camp. I believe keto is a great diet if you get excited about it and can follow it for a long time. I think uh, paleo is a great diet. Again, if you get excited about it and can follow it for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. You want to eat six meals a day? You want to eat two meals? If you want to eat one meal a day, great. Can you get excited about it? Can you follow it for a long time? And can that meal, you know, have some some balance and variability to its macronutrients and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. How exciting does food have to be? How exciting? Yeah. So, I mean, you've been, you've been using this word. Um, sometimes I refer people to this one video that I'm fond of from Evan Santapani, who he's just, he's talking about his normal day and preparing meals and, and eating and stuff like that. Now this is, you know, a, a seasoned, uh, bodybuilder. Right. So, you know, he's part of a select group of people for whom these are, um, you know, more calculated behaviors. But he he has said something that sort of resonated with me, which is that, you know, not every meal needs to be amazing. Right. Sometimes it's just about, in the case of weight loss, not going over your calories, right? right. Having something in place that's going to help you reach your goals, basically. And sometimes that just comes around to that pre-preparation and just getting that food in. You know, that's a really interesting topic. And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, you, we could talk about all day long. For instance, when people are, you know, following pretty strict diet protocols and they'll use maybe what's called a cheat meal or a refeed meal or all these things, there's controversy about the word cheat meal, you know, that you're cheating or, or even, you know, refeed, whatever it may be. It's that rewarding yourself with food is a tricky one. Yeah. Right. I think language is important there. I would. It's, it's, it's it's a. It's a dicey area where you start to attribute morality to food because food yes. is an inanimate object. It doesn't have morality. The behaviors that surround what you do with food can have morality. And I, I'm of the opinion that in an effort to not take accountability for certain behaviors, we place blame on the food. Right. Yes, absolutely. And it's so specific to the individual too. Men like you, and I, I know a lot of people like yourself, are very logical thinkers. And you're almost able to look at food. It would seem, you know, I don't want to put you in a camp that you don't belong to, but I at least have one individual in my mind. He looks at food and he sees carbs, fats, and protein. And that's it. He's got no emotional attachment, nothing with this. You know, he's a lean. People would say I have no emotion at all. <laughs> well, there you go. So maybe I hit the nail on the head. But anyways, so people like you, that works great for, you know what I mean? But for some people, food is an important part of their culture, their lifestyle, how they were brought up, their best memories or with family and friends sharing meals. To tell these people to stop having an emotional attachment to food and just look at it as calories and energy and, you know, uh zoo chemicals and and all of this stuff, right? (laughs) It's impossible because food is a big part of who they are. It's their memories. It's all these things. Now, I'm not saying that's good either. It's just who are you and what's possible for you? I wish, I I don't wish this, but I have said this before. I almost wish I had no taste buds. Now, (laughs) Now, I love food. I love food. But I feel like my life would be a lot easier if I didn't have these taste buds easier as a bodybuilder easier as a bodybuilder easier as whatever like if i could just eat 
Just one less Look, sensation. Look, I'm, I'm a fairly picky eater. Like mm. I said, if the tilapia is on the meal plan, I'm not eating that. I'm gonna eat some cod. Eat I some... don't know if that's picky. And I... and fish can it can be that way too. Yes, for sure. So, but if if taste buds were not an issue, that'd be great. I could stop putting cheese on things. Because <laughs> I'm not eating cheese <laughs> because it's really good for me. I'm eating it because it tastes awesome. It's not the texture. Well, the texture's pretty good. Yeah. But I don't have taste buds, so mouth yeah. feels no longer an issue. <laughs> Um, now I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy because I think food is one of the great gifts and pleasures that we do get to enjoy. I think that's a good way to put it. A delicious, a great meal shared with friends and family. I mean, that's, that's how you build a bond in, you know, a lot of cultures, you know, food's a big deal. Yeah. Um, now I guess the question is when does that start to become a problem for a person's specific goals? That's a really good point. Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously if you have challenges like obesity, diabetes, pregnancy, whatever it may, the case may be, even a lot of illnesses and diseases where, uh, you know, what we or eat. food plays a part. Yeah, food Crohn's, plays a Crohn's, celiac. You name it. I mean, Intolerances. Good nutrition affects everything. Energy balance. I mean, inflammation. I mean, all this disease stems from inflammation. And a lot of food is inflammatory or has anti-inflammatory properties. So what we eat and how we feel or how, how, how nutrition plays a role in our lives over the grand scheme of our lives is very important to consider. So when does it become, I guess it becomes a problem for the individual once the problem is prevalent. I mean, if you, you know, if that gene flips, now you're a diabetic for the rest of your life. It's not a whole lot you can do there. Now you, ha- now nutrition is important. It has to be, or you're dead. So better to make nutrition important to you by choice than by a mandatory situation. Hey, you have to lose weight or you're going to have a heart attack within the next six months. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're going to need to lose weight or we're going to have to amputate your leg. Got some gout going on. Or Or even diabetes. Diabetes. You you know it, right? Or Cecilia or all these things. So, you know, it's one of those things like it's better to make it better to choose to care about nutrition than be forced to care about nutrition. Um, you know, I think we covered a lot of ground and, uh, I don't want to keep it too much longer because we have been doing this for about an hour. No worries. I'm happy to um, come back. So, but I, yeah, I think we should do this again because I think we've only just started to tap the well and I think there's a lot more to be had. Yeah. Well, I'm really happy to come on the show. Uh, I, I love that you're doing this. I wish that more people were doing this, especially on, you know, we're from the same community. We're here on Vancouver Island. And it's just great to see someone in the community educating, getting messages out there to other people on a, on a local level, yeah, which is great. So thank you. Where can people find you, Adam? Um, where can people... Oh, I don't know. You can find me on Instagram. <laughs> the social medias? You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on the things. Uh, my Instagram handle is super long. Um, so maybe just go to... Uh, well, we'll put we can post it in the show. Yeah, notes. give it a post. I mean, I do a lot of my workout of a uh, of uh, Island Optimal. It's great facilities, freaking amazing place. Love Island Optimal. Um, yeah, or message Candace. Find her. She's the pretty one. <laughs> <laughs> she's got way more followers. She's got the more followers. Yeah, right. and she's more friendly than I am, <laughs> which is good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Adam, for coming in, and uh, we'll catch up with you again on a future episode. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Cheers.